I know one time in the past we had talked about, I think Stephen had talked about uh, William Carey. William Carey is the Baptist missionary to India who was credited with the statement, uh, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So I've entitled this devotion exactly that. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And, you know, as I look at the statement, the statement combines two really great truths I think that all Christians should apply. The first truth is to have great expectations from God. Those expectations are are based in faith. Those expectations are consistent with the character of God and the nature of God. So we're not to have any expectations that go outside of those. If God is indeed transcendent, if God is supernatural and all-powerful and all-knowing, if God does undoubtedly hear and answer prayer, right, we wouldn't be here if we didn't believe those truths, then we can have expectations of God that are in line with his character, that are in line with his power, that exceed normal physical limitations and reveal the glory of God in our lives. That's a reasonable reasonable expectation for a believer in Jesus Christ to have. That's the first truth. The second truth is even better because since God is whom the scriptures say that God is, then we as believers, then we can attempt great things for God. His grace and his enabling power will enable ordinary believers to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And hence, we are to expect great things, but our expectation doesn't end there. We are to attempt great things for God. Moses knew this truth. Moses knew it emphatically. And in Exodus 33, we see Moses speaking with God, interceding for the people, and beseeching God for his favor. So if you want to turn to Exodus 33, the primary text we're going to use today is going to be verse 18. It's a very short verse. But we see here Moses attempting great things for God. And my heart's desire, and this is when when everything boils down to the end, this is my heart's desire. My heart's desire is that as believers in Christ, that we come to a complete understanding of the depth of the riches of God so that believers can expect more from God and believers can attempt more for God. Exodus 33, 18, Moses says this, Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. In verse 18, we see Moses request to God to show him God's glory, to reveal to Moses the personal nature of God and to know him more. And this is fantastic when you think about it, because this request, considering the scriptures tell us in in verse 11 of 33, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speak to his friend. And my point simply with this is, Look at the depth and the knowledge that Moses had of God, and yet Moses presses in to expect more from God. Moses, we know, was not lacking with experiences from God. 
Moses met God in the burning bush. Moses met God on Mount Sinai. Moses met and spoke with God in the tent of meeting. Moses was well acquainted with God personally, but it was still not enough. He sought more of God. And his request in verse 18, uh, verse 18 can be considered, if you would, the ultimate request. Show me thy glory. And I believe that when Moses asked that, I believe that Moses was totally enraptured with God. I mean, I, I, I believe that he was, for lack of a better term, I believe he was spellbound. I believe he was in such awe. I don't even know, honestly, if he realized what it was he was asking for. But he was in that place with God, meeting with God, and he wanted more. And the first question that comes to mind for us is, do we want more of God? I think there's a danger, and I think the danger is, is we have been taught to devour the scriptures. We have been taught to have right doctrine, and I am one, absolutely 100% for the necessity of right doctrine. But the scriptures, right doctrine, biblical truth, is all designed to point us to knowing God, to knowing God, not knowing merely about God, but to knowing God personally. I believe it at the very, very heart of Moses was this all-out desire for God. And I say that if we as believers in Christ, we all have a testimony, you know how it goes, of, of what we used to be and how we used to be. And, and then we came to Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit, God changed our lives that we're no longer the people that we used to be. But too often, that is where our experience with God ends. It's almost as if, okay, yeah, I experienced this portion. Now I, I go back into normal human living, and I have to wait until I die, until I go to heaven. Then I'm really going to experience God as he is. We've learned to become content with crumbs from the dinner table instead of feasting at the banquet of God that he has prepared for us right here in this life. There is so much more to Christ. There is so much more to God and the experience of God. But do we expect great things from God? And are we willing to attempt great things from God. If our image of God is small, we're not going to expect great things. And neither are we going to attempt great things because we know nothing of the person of God. Moses did. And despite his experience, Moses wanted so much more of God. And not only did he want more, but with boldness of faith, he asked God for more and believed God for more. But most believers are not even encouraged to pursue God and seek more of God. And they do not ask God. Hey, James wrote of this in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. 
When James writes, you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Think about this for a moment. James in that text makes an important observation. Here he states, if we do not ask, we do not receive. How many of us are asking and beseeching God every day for more and more of his presence in our life, for more and more of Christ, for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, so that God could equip us, that Christ would increase and that we would decrease. Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, even made this statement in Matthew uh, 25, 29. He says, for everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. Do we have an abundance of the presence of Christ in our life? Do we have an abundance of God in our life? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote these words. Our trouble as Christians is that we are ignorant of God. We spend so much time feeling our pulse, taking our spiritual temperature, considering our moods, states, and fears. Oh, if we, if we have some conception of him, of the inconceivable glory of God. Church, do you believe, do you believe with me that there is never an end to the increase in Christ? That there really is an abundant and a, a deeper life in Christ? God's desire is not that we live whole hum defeated lives. That's not his desire. And, and that our existence on earth is only to wait for heaven when then we shall experience all these things. Jesus said, I came to give life and that more abundantly. We can know God here. But do we ask for this? Do we ask for this? The first step is the expectation. Do we expect more of God? There's a prevalent mindset in most believers in Christ that once we're born again, the conversion is the height of our experience with God. That there's no more to desire. Consequently, what happens? What happens? I mean, this is very evident in the church today. What happens? We lose our passion for God. We settle into waiting for death, ironically. Then we will experience all that God has. How many times have you had an experience in your church where somebody got saved, they came in, and we use these words all the time. Boy, they're on fire. And then a year or a year and a half passes by and they go, well, he kind of cooled off. And it's almost said as, as, as if that is the normal process. That's not the normal process. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul. Boy, if anybody knew anything about experience with God and intimacy with God, it was the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. I want to point out two things in, in that passage of scripture. First of all, Paul counted everything else that was not God to be garbage. It's trash. Included in that are the things, the, the shiny objects of this world that we hold real dear to us. He included all of that to be trash. What was Paul's desire? Paul's desire is that I may know him. The Greek word there for the word know means not only intellectual, but it means experiential. It's the same word that Mary knows when she's told she's going to conceive a child. When she says, how can these things be? I know not a man. It means experientially she didn't um, have intimacy with the man. God's desire is that we experience him. And we do in prayer and we do in worship. But we can experience God deeper and fuller. Therefore, can we expect more of God? Absolutely. And if that, if our faith is rooted in that kind of God, it's that faith that becomes the catalyst for us to attempt greater things for God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones again makes this quote. He says, we all ask for personal blessings, but how much do we know of this desire for God himself? I open this devotion with a quote from William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. In my heart, my heart's prayer for me, for my church, for my brothers and sisters across the world on this call, my heart's desire is that the church would be awakened from the slumber that we find ourselves in, we have so much of the head knowledge of God. And now that we would begin to yearn for more of God and to know God experientially and personally. Listen, William Carey did this. I mean, he lived his words. He opened up India with the gospel. He expected God to do great things. And in light of that expectation, he went to where the gospel was never heard. He attempted a great thing for God by going to India and bringing the gospel to a place that was completely shut out. Men like George Whitfield and John Wesley, who at their Bible study at Oxford University experienced a supernatural move of God, a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit that subsequently inspired the Methodist movement, and resulted in the first great awakening. Other men followed. Jonathan Edwards, who experienced the glory of God, descend upon him while he was in prayer in the forest. David Brainerd, who went into the woods to pray, and he writes that the snow was up to his chest, and he was so lost in prayer in the glory of God that when he had finished prayer, Praying, his body heat melted all the snow away down to the ground. And this very prayer meeting is started because of the work of Jeremiah Lamphere in the New York City lunchtime prayer meeting in 1857. What was the result of that? That started revival across the United States and across Europe. 
William Carey asked, and God answered. And as we saw from the text today, Moses asked, and how did God respond? Look at Exodus 33, 19. And he said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. God answered Moses' request. What will your request be today? Will Do you expect great things from God? How big is your God? And if so, will you attempt great things for God? Amen.